Welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast, my final Liverpool.com podcast. I'll not go into any more on that uh, because there's other exits that we want to talk about today. Uh, but with me, Dan Morgan, I've got James Martin and Kai Delaney and the other exits and uh, appointments, I guess, we want to talk about is those of managers within the Premier League. Uh, and in a way, we'll we'll link them back to Liverpool Football Club. And we do have uh, quite the jump-off point this week with Rafa Benitez being a, uh, confirmed as Everton's new manager at Goodison Park. Um, this isn't going to be a podcast about Everton, uh, believe you me. That's not something I can sit through. Uh, but it is going to be a podcast about about the concept of managers and where, where the state of managers are in today's uh, football sphere and in the Premier League in particular. But James, we'll start with Rafa, and I think I think it's important, firstly, to to recognise and to, to sort of make clear to the watching audience that this is three people on this podcast who are all from different parts of the country, uh, all Liverpool supporters, and therefore all have different sorts of cultural references and affiliations to Liverpool, which is completely fine and is completely varied. Um, so my Reaction to Rafael Benitez joining Everton is, I would say, potentially similar to if Rafael Benitez had joined Manchester United for other people. Uh, other people could be very nonchalant about Rafael Benitez joining Everton. But for me, Everton is the first fixture I look at when the fixtures are released. It is the game that I really don't want to lose at any point during the season. And in the spirit of, you know, I'd say 90% good humours rivalry. I don't want Everton to, to be successful. Um, so, I mean, where Benitez is with me at the minute, I'm still think I'm just trying to come to terms with the strangeness of it. I mean, but for you, where does it sit with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you, you brought up the kind of the cultural differences in terms of being a Liverpool fan, actually based in Liverpool and then based elsewhere. For me, yeah, it's... It's definitely strange. It is one which takes time to process, but I, I think inevitably it's not going to be as unusual for me as it would be, or as upsetting for me as it might be for, for people based in the city where the rivalry is felt more on a kind of day-to-day -day basis. Um, especially as well, there's an age thing that you have to factor in, in the sense that I've never really been experiencing the rivalry when it was competitive in terms of going for the same spots. Very early on, I suppose, there was that kind of, 2004-05 season, of course, Rafa's best season with Liverpool, but where um, where Everton, I think, finished fourth and Liverpool came fifth. But beyond that, it's not been close. So for me, the rivalry has just been more of a, it's more it's been more of a funny thing. It's fun to to laugh at Everton's failures, but I've never felt it as as keenly as I'm sure people in the city do. So, yeah, from my perspective, I don't think it's something that could ever taint taint Rafa's legacy. There's always those memories from Istanbul. It's you know formative memories and yeah it's I can totally understand why people don't like it but from my perspective yeah it's strange but I, I would always wish him well but obviously not too well in this case. Come on to legacy in a moment Kai but just just in terms of yourself uh, are you similar to James or are you more on my side of just being totally conflicted about the whole thing? <laughs> um, I think naturally as you mentioned earlier kind of due to you know upbringing where we're from and things I'm, I'm more with James um, I mean, my first actual derby wasn't until uh, the title winning season a couple of years ago. So I went to both the home ones that year and it, it was only really, um, you know, being in the ground and, and seeing it firsthand and, and also being in the office with people like yourself and 
on the other side, you know, Adam Jones, Sam Carroll from the, the, the sports desk and how much it means to them. Um, but you kind of realise the magnitude of it. it could, because on, on paper, if, if you take the fact that it's a derby out of it, you know, Everton are nowhere near Liverpool. It's, it's not a, it's not as most, um, it doesn't you know matter as much as a top six game, for example, in terms of the league and the standings. But of course, when you, you factor in the, the city side and the, the derby element, it, it completely transforms into as you say it's the first fixture that you look for but um no in, in terms of Rafa going there I'm not too concerned by it um I think you know he's only there now because of, of where he is and the manager he is um now he, he's not the manager he was when he was at Liverpool and Champions Leagues you know Napoli Real Madrid I think he's he's been at you know, Newcastle for a, a while and his his um stature maybe isn't once where it was and I think it's taking away that fact that he was Liverpool manager and obviously everything he did for us is probably a good fit it's just whether people are able to get over that which uh, you know I fully understand that a lot of Liverpool fans and but mainly it seems Evertonians um, it's not for them at the moment yeah I'll never forget those blue microphone covers in the office Um, (laughs) James on the, the question of legacy then um I think it's I think it's unwise to assume that Rafa's legacy at Liverpool is solidified as something um of a legend. Let's not forget from around I'd say as early as 2007 onwards there was quite a divide amongst Liverpool fans around Benitez's style of football uh around the, the certain tactics he'd use at certain points in the season, definitely around things like his substitutions. And there are some who I was, I'll admit, I was sort of uh, at odds with in, in, in the stadium at times during games, after games, through defending Rafa that, you know, really didn't want him uh, at the club. And that was going on for a couple of years before he did eventually leave. So, you know, I think we have to... We have to be careful to assume that, yeah, this was a European Cup winning manager for Liverpool, but, you know, there were questions there around um, his ability and, and certainly his legacy long before, you know, he actually left the club. And, and there is, you know, I will I will sort of defend him in that there is the caveat of the, the turmoil that was uh, in and around the club at that time with Hicks and Gillette and, and that shouldn't be underplayed because it was an absolute mess and Liverpool were almost... Not forced into liquidation, but but I think it's you know it's not something we can assume that this is you know this is on a par with a sort of Kenny Paisley, even I would say now Jurgen Klopp figure taking the Everton job. Yeah, that's definitely true. But I think it also depends how you're sort of thinking about legacy, in the sense that there's one way of thinking about it that he will always be the manager who was in charge for Istanbul, which is, you know, no one can change that. And that is a legacy in itself because, I mean, for one thing, any European Cup winning manager is is someone who's always going to be remembered fondly. But to do it in that manner, of course, is, I think it's meant some kind of legend status, even regardless of what he goes on to do. Um, but yeah, you're right. In terms of the actual holistic achievements and how, and even how he got the team playing, there are plenty of other managers who will rank higher than him in that pecking order. And I think I would agree that, that Klopp is now one of them. 
bring, bringing home the Champions League and, of course, the Premier League, um, which Rafa just fell short of. Um, so, yeah, it would it would be worse if one of those kind of bona fide legends were, were to make this switch. But then but then they wouldn't because they're too they're too good. They're, they're standing in the game is too high. If you look at someone like a Klopp, it's just it wouldn't happen. Uh, and that's that that's the reality of it now. Kai touched on it earlier. Benitez and the level he's at at the moment, Everton is about right. And I think that does make it easier to come to terms with because it's not like they're they're nabbing someone who would come in and improve Liverpool now. It's Liverpool have moved on. Benitez is part of a great past of the club. And I think, for me, that legacy is secure. But where he is now and, you know, those potentially negative tactics, um, yeah, it's it's a different era for Liverpool. And and he just represents where Everton are at at the moment. And, yeah, that's, it just it is what it is, really. Do you think, Kai, that, that we, we assume a sense of ownership over... Set managers, managers who've been successful with Liverpool, you know, we 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 sort of claim them to be ours, and and, and Rafa did an awful lot for the city, did a lot for the Hillsborough Justice campaign, um, which shouldn't go unnoticed. But you know that sense of, like James says, he was a European Cup winning manager for Liverpool, and they get, you know, they get adorned on flags, and they join such rich company. It has been strange to see Benitez's journey since Liverpool, hasn't it? You know, there's some. I remember, I remember some quotes from him. When he initially left Liverpool and said, "I'll be back here to manage one day," you know, he's so so certain of that fact. And now I wasn't sure of that, and now I'd say that there's absolutely no chance that happens. Um, I'd say you know his former captain's got a much more uh, certain degree of, of that happening than him ever managing Liverpool again. But but yeah, it is. It has been strange to see that the paths he's taken. Um, which we'll come on to a bit more in a minute, you know, since since he left Liverpool. Yeah, I think, as you, you said there, the one thing this move has done has, has completely ruled out any tiny chance there may have been of him ever returning to Liverpool as a manager. Um, and for that to have happened anyway, I think Liverpool's stock would have had to have fallen quite dramatically from where they are. I don't, he, he couldn't come in as a clock replacement in two or three years' time, for example, anyway. But um, I think that's now that ship has well and truly sailed but yeah as a club Liverpool do kind of take ownership with people and it's, it's not just managers as players as well we're so tribal as a as a club and these players they become legends and they have flags on the cop and they have sings uh, songs sung about them and I think that that's why you don't see it as much with Liverpool players moving and, and playing to other top six rivals in England. But you look at Man City, Man United, buying players from Arsenal, Tottenham, Kane moving to City. All the, these teams seem to share players. and But with Liverpool, it doesn't happen as much. And that's why you, when someone like Torres leaves, goes to Chelsea or even Sterling to City, it, it does hurt because you see them as, as one of your own. And Rafa was always like that. Everything he did in Istanbul, you know, I think his legacy will not not be harmed i think it will always be there and for, for what he did and and you know winning that champions league and in the way it was won as well um but yeah i mean this isn't the first one he, he went to chelsea and that was strange for a lot of people as well i know he was only there a short time but to to go to chelsea a team which you know doesn't have the, the best of relationship with liverpool as a, as a club i think the two polar opposites in the way they they operate to go there and, and win a european trophy for them is a strange one as well but um yeah, I think to, to see him at Everton now is just kind of sums up where he is at in his managerial 
uh, managerial career and he's not maybe the, the manager he was maybe five years ago. I mean, he is a... He, he loves he loves his challenge, Kai. We can say that much, don't we? You know, you know, he's gone to he's gone to Napoli. He's gone to he's gone to Inter after Mourinho wins the treble. He's gone to you know Chelsea, um, done Real Madrid after Ancelotti, and then you know there's there's Newcastle working under Mike Ashley. I mean, Rafa Benitez. There's got to be a part of him that enjoys it. There's got to be a part of him that thinks it's some kind of sadistic challenge that he can sort of succeed at it's such a strange it's such a strange path that he takes or seemingly all the time like the greater the challenge you know the more he seems to take it and the thing about it is he knows what his reputation will be like with a lot of Evertonians because he's lived it he's lived in the city you know you can say like about him being close to home and stuff like that but he's he's been in visceral Merseyside derbies he knows what the feeling is towards him. He knows that what being a Liverpool manager incurs when you, you know, come across certain Evertonians, a lot of which, you know, the majority of which will be absolutely reasonable and pleasant. But it does carry that edge to it. It does carry that sense of risk to it. And to go right into the sort of frying pan of managing them then, I don't know. He just he, there is. I mean, I wish him nothing but the best to a degree with this with this next venture. But um, yeah, there, there is something quite sadistic about his his managerial choices. Yeah, you've got to admire it. I think even going way back to, <laughs> to Valencia. I mean, he you know took on the underdogs there and ultimately came out on top and, and won the league. But I, I guess there's if he could make it a success at Everton and. Yeah, even win a trophy or if he could be there for several years, break into the top six into Europe, then it would arguably be, it's never going to, you know, eclipse Istanbul, but you'd have to say it'd be right up there in terms of his achievements. If he could get the Evertonians on side and it's the probably the one job in the world that is it's the most difficult one for him to walk into. And, you know, fair play to him, he's done it and, you know, remains to be seen how well he can do, but no, he, he does have a, a track record, as you say, Mike Ashley at Newcastle, a very short spell at Chelsea. He liked to follow Jose around after, you know, Jose was in his pomp at that time, winning trebles left, right and centre and then moving on. And Rafa was the man next in line. But no, I mean, if, if he can make it work, then you've got to take your hat off to him. And um, I think it'll be one of his, his greatest achievements if he, if he can get a trophy or build a, a legacy at Everton. Given you know what's what's come before, the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely, I mean he's not the only managerial appointment this week, James Nuno Espirito Santo. has been confirmed as the Tottenham manager, uh, alongside. I never pronounce his full name. I'll find it now. I forgot his first name actually. The director of football at Tottenham, uh, Fabio Paratici, um, who has come in. So. You wrote a piece yesterday on on how that sort of has shades of as we agreed on sort of a Liverpool twenty ten to twenty twelve vibe about it. You know, Espirito Santo seems very much head coach, especially when you you consider who's uh, gone before him at Tottenham: Mauricio Pochettino, Jose Mourinho, big big personalities, managers of uh, of every sense of the word, and now you've got. You've got this sort of head coach um, slash director of football model at play with Daniel Levy, of course, still there. I mean, 
there is there is a worry if you're Tottenham that this is a sort of um, plasticic appointment, which is not one that really would be the, the the choice if the choice was there to be had. But it's one that is sort of the best they can do with what's available, is what it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I wouldn't have minded if they'd announced that a few hours earlier because it meant elements of that piece were immediately out of date. But uh, it mostly still stands up, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it's. I don't think it's one that anyone can really get that excited about. I think the buzzword among the Spurs fans at the moment is underwhelming. Um, I think some of it has been quite harsh in the sense that until last season, everything that Nuno had done had been actually quite impressive. I mean, he walked the championship, admittedly, with an expensively assembled squad. And then first season in the Premier League, well, I think they finished seventh. It was it's a very good debut season in the Premier League. Um, and I think Liverpool fans would be some of the first to acknowledge that last season had a lot of extenuating circumstances with pandemic-affected things. So there's there's certainly excuses for the, the underperformance last season. But yeah, it's it's not the most exciting in the world. And and the key thing, as you say, is is how he relates to Paratici in this kind of hierarchy. Um, you'd have to imagine he's coming in as something of a sort of second, well, not second choice, but he's, he's below Paratici in terms of the decision-making tree. And it's a, it's a question of how how's that going to work. It's always quite an uncomfortable relationship, even for the kind of easygoing managers. You've got the the issue that, they've appointed someone in charge of football matters or, or some kind of equivalent phrase. And yet, and that person isn't the manager in charge of getting the results on the football pitch. I mean, no. it's inevitably going to be that kind of tricky dynamic. However, however good both parties are at managing it. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting one to watch. Obviously Liverpool saw it unfold as you touched upon in that kind of 2010 to 2012 era with, with Kamali. What I would say, and again, what I mentioned in the piece is, is that that did ultimately lead to the, the transfer committee and then the Michael Edwards model, which has worked so well. So it could be the start of a path to smarter recruitment for Spurs. There are reasons to be hopeful about it. But yeah, in the short term, it does feel a bit like they've just brought in a, a big name transfer guru from Juventus, hoping it'll solve all their problems when, like you say, it's probably more of a of a sticking plaster over a gaping wound sort of situation. It does feel, Kai, doesn't it, that, that you'd say Tottenham and Arsenal now uh, are really suffering with a lack of identity. Um, and I think that that is on no part the blame of, of Nuno Espirito Santo or Mikel Arteta. But, you know, you've got to look at both clubs and, and really feel like they've lost their way over the past few years, and in particular Spurs more latterly, but Arsenal's decline has been more elongated, you'd say. But, you know, you have to really sort of think that, as a sort of case study watching them, this is something that can happen really quickly for two, you would say, established top six clubs, Tottenham winning a Champions League final three years ago, uh, and look to be on the ascendancy in general in terms of their trajectory. It is quite... It's quite the fall for them in terms of where they've ended up. And it, at times, you know, sort of an outside looking in, which we'll come on to a bit more in a bit, it can seem to be just one managerial appointment. It can seem to be just one year of stagnation. It can just seem to be one transfer window in which you don't get things right. And all of a sudden, the whole narrative flips on its head. It is a reminder, isn't it? I, I think 
the obvious thing that both those teams, Tottenham and Arsenal, have in common is the stadium. Um, you know, they, they both spent heavily on a impressive new stadium, and you know, I have to say that Spurs, uh, Spurs new stadium is incredible. Went there for a game a couple of years ago, and it is you know one of the best in in England. Um, but you know the, the outlay that goes on that then potentially gets taken away from transfers and and you know, development in other areas of the club. So that that's obviously one of the big factors. Um, but yeah, with with Spurs, you know they went for so many different managers that they the lack of identity is a real thing, as you touched on there. They ended up appointing Nuno, who's you know uh, been playing three at the back for quite a few years, but differs hugely in style to Pochettino, to Conte, to Gattuso at one point they were talking with. So I, I don't think they know what they want. Um, and, and they've they've ended up with Nuno, who at one point was in talks with, with Crystal Palace. So it's not as if Nuno was still in the job and they've said, yeah, he's the man we want. They've gone for him and, you know, agreed a release clause to get him out. It's, it's very much a case of he was the fifth sixth seventh however many you want to say in line and they've ended up with him and i think the the two-year contract says a lot very similar to tuchel at chelsea they initially gave him an 18-month deal and, and i think that's something we're, we're we're seeing more of now and we're going to see more of in the future where the the manager is more of a coach you have a system in place and the club kind of operates without without a real philosophy and it's, it's just one coach will come in do an 18 month two-year job and then he'll be moved on and you know mm. at, at Chelsea it works but at, at Tottenham you know since Pochettino's left they, they've not had success and they look to be jumping on that kind of style themselves handing out short contracts and getting rid of Mourinho after 18 months so you do have to be careful that you you don't end up just in a spiral and if you can have a philosophy, you look at Liverpool as an example, where, of course, the whole club is built around Klopp and he's so integral to it, but it's managed so well off the pitch with, with FSG and the development of the stadium and the training ground that you do feel if the right person was available to come in after Klopp, you could almost continue on without a complete upheaval. Yeah, I mean, the only other appointment of note this week, James, is is Patrick Vieira, which we're still waiting to have confirmed at Crystal Palace. I mean, Palace is mad, by the way. They've got about 20 players out of contract. Um, so anyone taking that job is uh, is setting themselves up for a busy summer, put it that way. But, you know, I mean, Vieira, you know, he's not renowned as having a successful managerial career. Um, I think it's worth saying it's, it's notable and credible and uh, a genuine sort of positive whenever more black managers are given jobs higher up, especially in the Premier League. Um, and obviously, for that reason, you would say you want him to do well there, but he, he has got a job on his hands. I guess what I'm getting at, though, I mean, is in general, the 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 paucity, if you like, of of not just managers, but you would say sort of, aspirational young coaches coming through is something which you know I, I, I often wonder about this is there a lack of them or are they just not getting the right chances you know could Eddie Howe have done a better job at any of those three clubs than who the clubs are going to hire you know is there a case that Graham Potter could have moved to, to the likes of Spurs or Everton and, and you know maybe 
done done a better job and put in place something more sustainable. You know, it's I guess it's all about what the clubs want in in one sense. But you know, it, it does strike me that there isn't there isn't a wealth of managerial options out there right now. Yeah, I mean the fact that we're still mentioning Eddie Howe, I think, kind of sums it all up. Given that he was, you know, promising at Bournemouth, but then ultimately took him down and you know sort of disappeared off the radar. But still, he comes up in conversations about the promising young managers. I mean, I saw Gary Neville did an interview with Sir Alex Ferguson the other day, and he asked him about promising young managers. And again, it was Eddie Howe getting brought up despite this kind of absence from the top level for for quite some time. And I think that does speak to a lack of viable options. I, I think the new equivalent, if you like, is Graham Potter, who I think is a very interesting manager. He's got a great backstory in terms of his um, his education as a kind of motivator, public speaking type background. And it's interesting to see how he brings that into the football setting. And yeah, promising start to his career in England for sure. But yeah, there aren't a huge number of coaches out there who you'd highlight and say, yeah, they're, they're on the right track. They've, they've shown some promise. Um, I mean, you'd look at Gerard as another one, to be fair. But again, it's it's at a level below where perhaps we've seen young managers get given the chance before. No disrespect at all to Rangers. Massive, massive club, of course. But in terms of the biggest leagues, he's not got that break just yet. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I don't really know what's, what's the cause of it. I think it's probably a case of club hierarchies just being a bit more methodical and a bit more safe. So you don't really see quite as many just taking wild punts. And the preference is someone with the perception as a little bit more of a safe pair of hands. And I think Palace is a case study of why that can be a bad idea. It's halted, it's halted progression. But equally, they're the same club who hired Frank de Boer and had to give up after, what, six games without a goal because it just didn't work. And that is the other side of the coin. When you try and take a chance on someone young and, and a bit more exciting, then it can backfire horribly. So I understand it from club perspectives as well. I mean, I think all of this, James, comes back to, from a Liverpool perspective, how lucky we are to have Jürgen Klopp in, in charge of Liverpool. And, and I think when you see... The reason I wanted to do this podcast and talk on a more broader scope, not just the Benitez-Everton thing, was, was because you get to see, I guess... How how much upheaval there can be if you don't have the right manager in place, if you don't have the right structure there from the get go, and you know Liverpool not having these headaches, Liverpool being able to um, react to what is hopefully going to be their worst season under Klopp um, this this summer, and and just logistically having a, a club which is settled is now many forms of rarity isn't it in this game you know he is am I right in thinking he's the the longest or second longest serving manager in the Premier League now and and that is you know something which going back to Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger days would be seen as still a rel- relatively early tenure um, but, but Jürgen Klopp is somebody who you know Liverpool Liverpool should be grateful not only to have him and his ability and skill set but also to have his his uh, ability to stabilise the club in the manner in which he's done. Yeah, yeah. Stability is the word, really. Um, it's such an important thing for a Premier League club, and such a rare thing. When you say, when you, yeah, when you put it like that, I do think he is possibly the longest-serving manager in the Premier League now, which is 
like you say, would have been unthinkable sort of even a generation ago that someone who's been here, what, coming up to six years is the longest serving manager. But but yeah, that's just the way the game is these days. And to be fair, if you look at it from like a Chelsea perspective, they'd say, well, look, we're, we're thriving in the upheaval. We're getting new managers in left, right and centre. They win us a trophy and then they leave again. And that is a model which it can have some success. And I think it is easy to to look down on it and say, where's your identity? But equally having that kind of stability is is such a plus because it means any kind of well not failures but any kind of doubts in other areas they they can be well they're made less major so for a club like Chelsea they have to get the recruitment spot on and then it's the manager which becomes almost secondary whereas for Liverpool they've got the manager spot on and things like transfers become secondary obviously everyone still wants to strengthen there are areas where everyone would say I really hope Liverpool make a signing here. I mean, midfield springs to mind with Wijnaldum going. Everyone wants an extra attacking option, I think. But equally, there is that element of faith because Klopp has built this system where you just trust him. Whoever he has at his disposal, you know that he'll get the best out of them. And you know that there's a system in place, a style in place, where Liverpool can sort of just keep operating, not regardless of personnel, because every top club needs top players. But there is that that element of the manager is is the key rather than than the players necessarily and and yeah to have that stability for going on six years now is it's just huge yeah i mean he's such a he's such a massive personality kai as well isn't he I and mean, you know we talk at the top of the show about the concept of like what defines a liverpool manager and you know what defines the concept of legacy Jurgen Klopp has absolutely covered every angle with that and and i think when you know, I was writing down the agenda, it does strike me that Jürgen Klopp is probably the closest thing that you would get to Steven Gerrard uh, in terms of Liverpool being a one-club man um, for him. You know, you couldn't envisage him ever managing in the Premier League another side, um, whereas perhaps even Gerrard you could. So I'm probably saying he, I'm probably doing him down in that sense. I, I guess where I'm coming from is there's such an identity attached to Klopp there's such a there's such a thought out process about who he likes to affiliate himself to, you know, the projects which are right to him. And the fact that they are just that, they're projects, you know, he aligns himself to the club, the ethos, the values. He very much goes somewhere to build a culture. And, you know, we've had that. We've had the the fortune to to see that unfold and I think when we look at the modern game and all the things we've spoken about in in this podcast, that's it's such a you know it's such a rarity. It's such a positive the way in which football is going. It, it is such a you know it is a transient uh, environment, and to see that that sort of play out might be for the last time. We don't know, but with, with such a talented manager, it's been been a privilege in many senses. Yeah, it, it almost feels like he's part of a, a dying breed. I think you, you go back to, as you said earlier, the likes of Ferguson, Wenger, the days of anything over 10 years are, are well and truly gone. And for, for Klopp to already have five or six under his belt and by the time his contract's up, he'll nearly, I think he'll be close to 10 years if he doesn't sign another one. Um, whether Liverpool ever have another manager that does close to 10 years, again, the, the way modern football is now, I'm not so sure. Every other club seems to be doing two, three years and then it's, you're only ever five or six games or bad results away from the sack and ridiculously some people were suggesting that 
Klopp could be sacked or resign you know, during Liverpool's bad run last season, despite all the mitigating circumstances around it. But, um, you know, he, he's only managed three clubs. He, he's famously said, hasn't he, that if, if he manages Mainz, Dortmund and Liverpool, and he only manages three teams before he retires and he'll be happy and that that will do for him. And was it seven years at Mainz, seven years at Dortmund, I think? Correct me if I'm wrong, but he looks like he, he could, could beat that at Liverpool if he sees out his contract and doesn't strike me as the type of manager that would necessarily even take any other job in, in club football. But certainly the Premier League, I think you can rule that out now. Um, the only one I could see potentially would be Germany, the national dog. I, I don't think he'd go back to Bayern Munich given his links with Dortmund there, but I think his his pedigree is that that if if he wanted the German job at any point in his career, he could just say, I want it now and they'd pretty much get rid of whoever's in charge and he can he can walk into that and you know enjoy it as his kind of retirement job in the, the latter stages of his career. But yeah, I mean, coming back to Liverpool, he he's absolutely built a legacy. You know, he was even involved with the plans for the new Kirby training ground and if that doesn't tell you how invested he is in the club and how invested the club are in him in turn then you know I think that's everything you need to know right there that he's he's here for the long the long haul and I don't think he'll ever be ever be at another club in England and as, as you were talking about earlier Liverpool owning our managers and owning our players he, he is one of those that you know he he'll be on a flag and I think 10, 15 years' time and have a statue for what he's done. Absolutely. Absolutely many of them, I'd say. Um, huge thanks to James. Huge thanks to Kai. It's been something a little bit different from the usual uh, transfer chat, but we hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I hope, you, uh, hope you're doing well out there. Leave some nice feedback for us because it's always nice to be nice, um, especially Evertonians watching this. Um, we try to keep it of a level. So uh yeah, huge thanks to the guys and uh we'll be back soon with the next Liverpool.com podcast. Take care. Bye. And Dan, just before you get off, just a quick thank you for your hosting of Liverpool.com podcast for the last couple of years and everything you've done on the site and uh good luck in the future. Ah thank you very much. It's uh yeah it's been a great experience and uh yeah best of luck to everyone and I'm sure you'll still catch me about on on different platforms and maybe even this one in uh in some time to come but yeah um something new for me which which i'm looking forward to and it's been uh yeah it's been a pleasure working with you all so thank you